Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Romans chapter 1, we're going to have a missions emphasis. I don't have a text, so I'm going to have you remain seated. Sometimes we stand in reading, in honor of reading God's word, but we're, we're going to dive right in, all right? So Romans chapter 1, if you're taking notes, I have three points don't get excited, though. I have a whole bunch of subpoints. All right. So I have three main points this morning, and I'm going to share with you my outline as we go. So if you like to take notes, let me take a quick commercial as well. I'd encourage you to take notes. Maybe not today. If you're not prepared, don't feel bad here. Let me take my glasses off. I can't see you, so don't feel bad. And by the way, you guys are beautiful. <laughs> now is the time for me to say that. Okay, not now. Okay. So Romans 1, I encourage you to take notes so that you can remember these things and be a Berean. There were some believers in Berea, the Bible says, that they were more noble than other believers because as they listened to the word of God, they took note and then they went home and they, they saw, they looked it up to make sure what the preacher was saying was actually in the word. And so they were more noble because they studied to make sure what that preacher said was true. And so I'd encourage you to do the same if you can. Take notes and then go home and examine Romans 1 for yourself. So here we go this morning. Romans chapter 1, thank you again for the privilege of being here this morning. Romans chapter 1, if you're taking notes, we're going to see right out of the gate, number 1, Paul's greeting. Paul's greeting, number 1, Paul's greeting. It's found in the first seven verses of Romans chapter 1. Here we go. Verses 1 and 2, we're going to see in his greeting, we're going to see his calling. Verses 1 and 2. Here we go. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scripture. And so in the first two verses of Paul's greeting, he is saying this, I am called of God. And so right out of the gate, let me look at you and tell every single member of this church, you are also called of God. You say, well, well wait a minute, I'm not the pastor, I, I'm not even a deacon, I'm not even an usher, I don't even teach Sunday school, I, I don't work in the nursery, I'm just here. Let me tell you, every single member of this church is a minister. Every, that word minister is a $10 word that means servant. And the word servant is a $9 word that means slave. But we have a good master. And we're, we're, we're serving literally the risen Savior. And as a choice, we have that opportunity to serve him. And Paul, right out of the gate, on his greeting, he says this, Paul, a servant. Right away, he's letting the reader know, the believers at Rome, that I am just a servant. Don't elevate me. I'm nothing special. I'm not better than you. I am just a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm also an apostle, but that's because that's the way God made me. That's what Paul is saying. But he says, listen, don't think, well, because he's an apostle, he's something special. No, right out of the gate, he says, I'm a servant. A servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So in this greeting, we first see Paul's calling. Secondly, in this greeting, we see Paul's Christ, his Messiah, his Lord. Notice verses 3 through 5. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. So in verses 3 through 5, he says, this is who I am serving, Christ. I am serving Jesus Christ. And he goes and gives us a little bit of history of, and prophecy fulfilled through Jesus Christ and who he is. So in this greeting, he says, I'm called of God. I'm serving Christ. And thirdly, in this greeting, in verses 6 and 7, we see his commission, Paul's commission, his job, his specific mission. 
I've been, uh, I grew up in Long Beach, uh, got saved in Paramount at Gethsemane Baptist Temple, and then the church moved to Long Beach and became Gethsemane Baptist Church, and I was saved there in Long Beach, or Paramount, and then the church moved to Long Beach, and at the exit of all the doors of the building, it says, you are now entering the mission field. It was a reminder every time we walked out of the church that literally the moment we step out of the church, we are in the mission field. Missions is not just around the world. It is across the street. You have a job to do right here in this zip code. You have a job to do at work where you work. You have a job to do on your street. Missions is across the street and around the world. Paul shares with us in his greeting in Romans chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, his commission. Notice verse 6. Among whom, because of this Jesus Christ, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. So Paul starts off and says, I'm a servant, I'm an apostle, I'm serving Jesus Christ. And then he looks to the reader and he says, you're also called. Notice verse 6, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the first seven verses, this is literally what we have, Paul saying, hello. That's what he's saying. It took him seven verses to just go, hi. He's just opening up his letter and he's saying, I'm a servant, I serve Christ, and I'm commissioned, and so are you. That's what he says in the first seven verses. Paul's greeting. Everybody say Paul's greeting. Ready? Paul's greeting. Say it again. All right, so that's in the first seven verses. Second point this morning, not just Paul's greeting, but secondly, Paul's gratitude. Paul's gratitude, his thankfulness, his gratitude. When I was a child, I learned the song, have the gratitude attitude. Now that I have 12 children, I have to remind them daily, be thankful. Be thankful. Have a gratitude attitude. You understand that your attitude is your choice? We've been saying the last few weeks in our church, for some reason, the emphasis has been heavy on this. Rejoicing is a choice. You have the choice to rejoice. Oh, pastor, but you don't know what I'm going through. God does, and he still says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. doesn't matter what you're going through. The circumstances do not dictate your joy. Happiness is based on your happenings. What is happening to you? If we were to call pastor right now and say, pastor, are you happy? He would say, no. I want to be in the house of God. I don't even want this guy preaching right now. I want to preach. He's not happy based on his happenings. But if we were to say, Pastor, do you have the joy of the Lord? He says, oh yeah. Oh yeah, the joy of the Lord is my strength. How do you get through what you're going through? As I watched the video, I tried not to watch the video. Because some of those folks have moved on. God's moved some to Texas and Colorado and, and Lancaster. And I'm like, no wonder we have five people. They all keep leaving or dying. Ah! But he promised he will build his church. Does it make me happy to see a loved one go to Texas? America is what I call Texas now. But anyway, um, Texas, that doesn't make me happy. But now we had the most recent move to Texas, a family, and every Sunday they're being faithful to the house of God. Uh, uh, the, the, the mother in the family, my wife led to the Lord in February of, I guess, last year. Is that true? Yeah, I think so. I can't remember. Time goes. But she got saved. And in their backyard, I had the privilege of uh, conducting their wedding. And God was building this family up and everything's great. And then they said, Pastor, we're moving to Texas. And I was like, what you talking about, Willis? I was not happy, but I do have joy for them because in the moment of time they came to Solid Rock, they were able to get some things right with the Lord and get saved. And now they're there. And, and I saw one of their daughters, Norma, who we've been praying for for a long time. She just got baptized and they're growing in the Lord. Our church isn't growing, but they're growing in the Lord. And so I may not be happy based on my circumstances, but I do have joy, which is something the world can't have. You say, well, why can't they have joy? 
They seem happy. Yeah, they seem happy, but they can't have joy. You know why? Because joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy. Joy cannot be manufactured. Joy comes strictly from the Spirit of the living God. And so Paul looks at us this morning and gives a greeting. He says, hello. But secondly, he gives us or shows us his gratitude in verses 8 through 15. I also have three subpoints underneath Paul's gratitude. So letter A or number one, Paul's congratulations. He's like cheering them on. And verse number eight, he just got through saying, hello, I'm a servant of Christ and you should be too. You are. Hey, the Bible says this in Acts chapter one, verse eight, and ye shall receive power when after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost across the street and around the world. But the Bible says ye shall be witnesses. Do you understand every member of this church is a witness for Almighty God? You may not be a good witness, but you're a witness. You may be a great witness, but you're a witness. It is completely your choice. Do you have a job? If you have a, a physical job where you clock in or you go in, you're on salary and you get to work, your coworkers are either going to spend eternity in heaven or not. And you are the salt and light that God has placed in that place of business. And so what kind of witness are you? Missions isn't something we do once a year. It should be something or someone we are all year. That we're always on the hunt. Right now, my boys have really caught it. I mean, they're, they're putting me to shame. We go to the park often and go play basketball, and I try. They're getting older, and man, the older I get, the better I was, you know? And they're getting older, and I'm getting slower, and instead of growing this way, I'm starting to grow this way. It is not working. The rim seems higher now, and we'll be playing basketball. And literally dribbling the ball, and we're playing, and one of the boys will stop, run to the bench, grab a track, and run across the park because he sees someone walking. And I'm thinking, can we at least finish the point? But they've caught this idea that one day we're going to stand before God and give an account. And so now they don't go to the park. I'm talking, you know, shorts and t-shirts, tennis shoes, let's play ball. And they bring a stack of tracks. Now, I'm not, I'm not boasting on me. That's not me. I go play basketball to play basketball. But they're like interrupting, Dad, hold on. And they take off, and I'm like, okay. How do you say no to that? They have an understanding that missions is even at the park, even playing basketball. Now they have no problem going up to someone and saying, do you mind turning that off? They bring their little Bluetooth speaker, words that we don't allow in our home, but we're in the world, we're not of the world. And, they're there. and so now my sons, they're only, my oldest is 16, and and 15, I've got twin 13-year-olds, and then I have uh, Angel, who's nine, I think, eight, I don't know, that's too many kids. And uh, so they'll be like, you know, hey, we're playing basketball over here, do you mind turning that down or turning it off? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, what he said. <laughs> that's not me, I grew up with it, I just kind of, eh. And they're like, I don't want to hear that. Whose kids are, they're her kids. <laughs> no, no, they're our kids, all right. They understand what missions is. So Paul expresses his gratitude in verse 80, gives them a congratulations. Look at verse 8. First, so he got past his hello, his greeting. And he says in verse 8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. You know what he says in verse 8? Congratulations. He says, good job. Before I get into the letter, I want to thank you and congratulate you. I thank God that everywhere I go, I know about your church. Wouldn't it be nice to have a missionary pop in on a Wednesday night or Sunday and just sit somewhere, third, fourth row, and you think they're a, just a regular visitor, and you go up to them, and they say, oh, no, I'm a missionary in Chile. And I just love your church so much. Your pastor doesn't know I'm coming, and I've never met Brother Robbie. I've never met any of your pastors, any of your staff. I just heard about you guys in Chile, how good you are to missionaries. And I'm not looking for a handout or I just wanted to come see it for myself because your reputation in Chile is just something that I just had to come all the way here and just sit in a service. He says, is that possible? Yes. It's very possible to be known throughout the whole world. Say, so how is that possible? To have a love for God and to have a love for your neighbor. 
That's what we're supposed to be doing. And Paul in verse 8 says, I just want to thank you before I say anything else. And Romans is a heavy book. But he says, before I get into all of the doctrines that the Holy Spirit is going to lead me to, the Holy Spirit wanted me to tell you, good job. Notice verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. So he gives them a congratulations. Secondly, he gives them, or we see Paul's consecration. Not just Paul's congratulations, but Paul's consecration in verses 9 through 12. Notice verse 9. For God is my witness. He's like, I'm telling the truth. God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. That without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayer. I'm consecrated to you, uh, believers at Rome. I love you so much. I'm praying for you. Verse 10. Making requests, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. Verse 11. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that ye or to the end ye may be established. That is that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. You know what he says in verses uh, 9 through 12? He's like, I'm consecrated to you. I thank God for you. I pray for you. But look up here. This is important for our message. I'm not just praying for you. I'm not just thankful for you. But I actually want to see you face to face. Nothing replaces a high five, a hug, or a handshake. Nothing does. Being face to face is better than everything else. My parents live in the state of Tennessee. They moved from, from uh, California about 15, 16 years ago. And uh, when they did that, I was in the military at the time. We were living in the country of England. I didn't care that they left California and moved to Tennessee. didn't care at all. I mean, I love my parents, but I didn't care where they lived. I'm in England. Does it make it any easier for me to go home? Then we got out of the military and the Lord started working on our heart to come to California, which is where I said I would never go back to. I was born and raised in Compton and I'm like, never going back. Never. Lord, I'll do anything you want except for pastor and live in L.A. And he was like, check, check. So now I say I'll do whatever you want except for be a multimillionaire. I just throw that out there. And so my parents are in Tennessee. We call every day. I call my mom. I call my mommy every day. Call her every day. Call my dad every day. Every single day. But it's nothing like seeing them face to face. And Paul says, I want to congratulate you. Church, you, you guys are awesome. I, I want you to know I've been praying for you. I don't cease praying for you. But I want you to know it's not good enough for me to just say good job and to pray for you. I want to be with you. I want to worship, if you will, since we started this last year, in person. I want to be in person with you. That's pretty heavy. So you say, well, why doesn't he just go be with them? Great question. It's answered in our text. We have Paul's congratulations, Paul's cons, uh, con, uh, consecration. Thirdly, under Paul's gratitude, his thankfulness, Paul's concern. In verses 13 through 15, Paul's concern. Everything's been good so far. He says, hey, greeting. I'm called of Christ. I'm commissioned, and so are you. And then he says his gratitude. Man, good job, church. You're known all over the world. I'm praying for you. And in fact, I want to be with you face to face. But let's see Paul's concern in verses 13 through 15. He just said in verse 12, that is that I may be comforted together with you. A couple weeks ago, we spent some time in our church talking about greeting one another with a holy kiss. That high five, that hug, that handshake. And how important that is. And he says in verse 12, I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So notice verses 13 through 15, his concern. Verse 13, now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, 
that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. What he says in verse 13, he's saying, look, church, I'm thankful for you. I'm praying for you. I'm, I'm proud of you. But I really want to be with you. But I don't want you ignorant. So what do you mean ignorant? I don't want you to think that these are just words. That I want to be with you. I'm not just saying something to fill in this letter. I don't want you ignorant. I want to physically be with you believers at Rome. But the Spirit led me hitherto. Led me here. I want to be there, but the Spirit led me here. Robbie, can you do me a favor and get me two chairs? Let's see how fast he can go. Everybody watch him. (laughs) Just stare at him. Look at that. I don't turn red like that. I just want to illustrate this better. I'll take one. You put it on that side. I'll put it on the other side. I just want to paint the right picture here so you, thank you, sir. I want to paint the right picture so you could understand what's going on before we get to where I want you to go. He starts off Romans chapter one, seven verses, and says, hi, I'm called, I love Christ. We both have a commission. He then gets very, very, very grateful, shows his gratitude, congratulates him. He tells him, I am compassionate for you. I love you guys. But I don't want you confused. I don't want you ignorant. I'm not just saying I want to be with you. I really, really want to be with you. I want to be there, but God led me here. And this chair here, this represents my mom and dad. What state are they in? Confusion. (laughs) No, no, Tennessee. They're in Tennessee. I'm here in the state of what? Don't say confusion. California. Is California Tennessee? No. Now, some people don't have a great relationship with their mom and dad. I would not be standing here today if I did not have a father. The number one problem, you may not know this, but I happen to be black. The number one problem in the black community, and at this point in 2021, the number one problem in every community is fatherless homes. Now, you're shaking your head in agreement. But I confused you because you're thinking lowercase f, fatherless homes. But I'm talking fatherless homes. Now, obviously, a single mother who knows the father can do a great job. But we know that physical fatherless homes is a big problem, too. I would not be standing here today if I did not have a physical father in my home. My dad was a drunk, smoked weed, blah, 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 blah. But in 1985, somebody knocked on our door in Compton and said, we have a bus that picks up boys and girls and teenagers. Can they ride the bus? And mom and dad were like, free babysitting. (laughs) Get them out of here. How much does it cost? Free. Take them. Keep them. A couple weeks go by. This church had a friend day. And so we didn't have any friends. My parents were crazy, but they wouldn't let us outside. They didn't know the Lord. They just knew they didn't want us like them. So we just were stuck. The weekends, my dad literally, they built a room. My, my grandfather built the room on the house in Compton so that we can go in on the weekend with a bathroom. And so we would stay out of the den. Most people's den or living room had a couch and TV. It was a bar. Not exaggerating. We had more 
liquor and alcohol in the living room than the corner store did. And we were the party house. Records and booze. And all that mess that goes with it. So the weekends were in the room. Well, now we get to go to church. Bus kid. Woohoo. Now you know why I messed up. Bus kid. Uh, ain't Compton. It's the bus ministry. No, no, no. And so friend day came. We invited my mom and dad. Sat in the back row. Dad walked the aisle and got saved. It was either that night or the next night. As a family, we went into that living room. We grabbed all that alcohol, and we began to pour it out as a family in the bathroom, the sink, and in the tub, and in the toilet. And I was, no, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. But we poured it out as a family. I was only five, five, six years old. I didn't know what was going on. I was probably having fun. I didn't know. I remember my brother and sister, a little tear in their eye. Remember mom and dad thinking, wow, I was just a little boy. But when Jesus stepped in, everything changed. I was a little upset at first. Say, why? Because I couldn't ride the bus anymore. My parents wanted to go to church. I'm like, who invited them? <laughs> this is my church. You find your own church. Man, they got saved. Some time went by, obviously, and, and my parents are in Tennessee, 15, 16 years now. Dad always worked two to three jobs. Listen, dads, I played baseball, basketball, ran track, football. Every game, every track meet, over there in the corner, never sat in the bleachers, always stood like this. I don't know why he was mad at me. <laughs> was my dad. Worked two and three jobs my whole life. He has three jobs right now, and he's 60-something years old. He's young. Three jobs right now. Always, that's a great example. He's in Tennessee, right? So this morning, I'm here. So I'm not in my church right now, which started 20 minutes ago. My dad flew from Tennessee Friday on Southwest, so you know it was a miracle. <laughs> on Friday, and he is teaching Sunday school in my church right now. A layman, not Pastor Harold, just dad. He'll be preaching. We're going to hurry after the opening of the Korean service. We're going to hurry back to our church. And I'm going to get up there and act like I've been there. <laughs> Sunday school was great this morning. Because <laughs> I wasn't there, it probably was. Sherry's going to get up and, and sing Amazing Grace like she did this morning. And I'm going to introduce my dad. And then I'm going to take Alden and I'm doing the nursery today to give my 20-year-old and 8-year-old daughter a chance to sit and listen to their grandfather preach the word. I love my dad. I love my mom. My mom would be here, but she's sick. Been sick for a long time. And I like the phone. I like the FaceTime. But there's nothing better than being in the same chair. Amen. Nothing better than that. Come on, 12 grandkids in this chair and they're in that chair. That don't make no sense. I long to be with you. But I was led hitherto. Paul says, I don't want you ignorant. I'm not just saying I love you and I pray for you and I'm thankful for you. I'm actually, I'm broken that I can't sit in your chair with you. And so he has this concern. In verse number 13, look at it again. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren. And for those of you that are nervous, we're not going to go all the way to verse 32, okay? There's always two in the crowd. <laughs> Sherry and Monique, all right. Um, we're only going to when we stop. Um, verse 13, his concern. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes, more than once, I purpose to come and sit in your chair with you. But I was led hitherto to this chair. That I, the reason I wanted to come is that I might have some fruit among you also, even as other Gentiles. You understand how hard it is for my dad to bear my burden every time I call him and talk about 
X, Y, and Z with our church. He is more than capable of being a blessing and a help here. But he was led hitherto. We're in two different chairs. It's a huge conflict because we're on the same team. And we could do a lot. Synergy's a big deal. And so Paul's got a concern that he's sharing here. Notice the next verse. Verse number what? You could have said 32. Verse 14. This is what he said. Please get this. This is our message. Say the next three words of verse 14. The first three words. Ready? Everybody. I am debtor. Paul says this. I want to be here. But the Spirit led me here. I could be a blessing here and a help. Give you some spiritual gifts. I mean, I'm the Apostle Paul. But I'm here because I'm debtor. I'm debtor. Keep reading. I am debtor both. I like that word. Probably my favorite word in all of missions is both. Missions, both across the street and around the world. Missions, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost, both at the same time. How could I be in Uganda, Africa and Bellflower at the same time? I go here, Bellflower, and I give here, Uganda, both. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. He shares his concern and he says, I want you to be clear. I am where I am because of who I am and because of I am. But some of you are babes in Christ and you won't understand, so please mature a little bit and understand it's not that I don't want to sit in that chair. I just, I'm debtor. To the barbarians, to the Greeks. What good is it to become spiritual hoarders of the gospel? I mean, there's some things. I've only been here for a few, you know, maybe an hour or so, I guess, give or take. And there's just things naturally as a pastor, I walk into a property and I'm going, we should fix that and we should fix that and we could do better here and we could. So we could say, you know what? Our money would be better spent if we just put it all in here for like two years. So let's just cut missions and let's really focus on fixing everything here. That's not why. That's not both. That's not being led by the Spirit. That's using logic. And we don't live a logical life. We live a faithical life. I just made that up. <laughs> we live by faith. And Paul says, I love you. But I was led here because, so what good is it to be a hoarder of the truth? I was talking to Pastor Robbie. And I was talking to Brother Yap. I love that last name. Yap. He just yaps like me. But anyway, I love it. And um, I was talking, just talking to him before the service, it almost made me want to change the message to the story of uh, Philip. Philip was there as an evangelist. And he was there in church, a church that was booming. The Holy Spirit blew in. People were getting saved, baptized. I mean, everything is going great. And the Holy Spirit taps him on the shoulder and says, get out of that chair. And where you're going, there's not even a chair. And so he, and off he went. He doesn't even know where he's going. Remember that? Abraham, get up and go to a land that I'll show you. Okay. Off he went. So Philip's going, and then he's in the desert, and he sees a chariot, and the Holy Spirit says, go join yourself to that chariot. So he runs. I mean, it's a chariot. So how fast was he running? I don't know. But he's running. The man in the chariot, Ethiopian eunuch, a black man, was reading the word of God. In Isaiah. I don't even read Isaiah. Anyway, Isaiah. And, and here comes Philip. Hey. You 
what you're reading? I have no idea. How can I, except some man show me? I guess I'm preaching the message anyway, huh? Except some man show me. So he joined himself into the chariot. He, oh, I love the text. He says, the Bible says he began at Jesus. He began at Jesus. But he's in Isaiah. Jesus am on every page. Starting with Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. That's Elohim. That's plural. God the Father, God the Son, God. He was there from the beginning. Slain from the foundation of the world. That's the third message. Come on, come back to the second one. So he leads them to the Lord. They're going on in the chariot. There's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? If thou believest. Oh, I believe that God is a son. I believe that Jesus is a son of God. Off the chariot. Get out. Baptize them. Now they're in the chair together, baptized them, and the Holy Spirit said, took them away. He left a revival meeting, went to the desert, saw fruit, and then had to go away. He just kept moving. You understand, there comes a point where we have to get uncomfortable, physically speaking, so that we can obey Christ. The whole message this morning is we're debtors. Missions isn't just for the missionaries. Because every one of us is a missionary. That's one thing the Mormon church has right. Might be the only thing. But every single one of them, they consider themselves missionaries. We as believers, we're missionaries. Uh, One of the uh, gospel singers, she said, either you're a missionary or a missions project. You're either saved in here this morning or you're unsaved. And if you're saved this morning, you literally are a missionary. So where's your fruit? What are you doing about your Jerusalem? Financially, giving, praise the Lord, giving $5, $10,000, whatever, to missions is awesome. It's part of the both. But so your neighbors. It's amazing that you'll give to a guy going to China but you won't talk to your physical neighbor on your street. He had a concern, and his concern was twofold. I don't want you to think I don't want to come, but I want you to understand while I haven't come, I'm debtor. Lastly, this morning, we saw Paul's greeting. We saw his gratitude, and lastly, Paul's gospel. I'm going to give you the whole outline, but we're not going to get all the way to verse 32. So let me give you the four thoughts under Paul's gospel. And then we'll read two verses, and I'll get to my conclusion. Paul's gospel in verses 16 through 32. First, you would see, which we will look at this morning, Paul's confidence. We're going to see that in verses 16 and 17. What I'm not going to look at, I will give you anyway, because I want you to be a Berean. Secondly, not just Paul's confidence, but Paul's contrast going to show some differences in verses 18 and 19. We're not going to look at that this morning, but you write that down and you go do some homework. Thirdly, under Paul's gospel is Paul's conviction in verses 20 through 25. Paul's conviction. So we have Paul's confidence, which we are going to look at this morning in verses 16 and 17. Paul's contrast in verses 18 and 19. We're not going to look at that. You can take a look later. Paul's conviction in verses 20 through 25. And then lastly, to close out the chapel, I call it Paul's condemning in verse 26 through 32. So your homework is verses 18 through 32. You finish the chapter for yourself. But for us, as we think about Paul's gospel, notice verses 16 through 17. This is what he said. After his greeting, his gratitude, he begins to introduce the gospel. Verses 16, he says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone. Seems like he said all lives matter right there. Everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So we see his confidence was not in his calling. His confidence was not in his credentials. His confidence was not in his childhood, his upbringing. 
His confidence was in the gospel, was in Jesus Christ. And so you may be saying, I understand that this is everything that I love. And I understand that sometimes God moves us. But what I don't understand is how am I going to be able to get from there to there? If you have confidence in yourself, it will never work. Your confidence must be in him. And Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto, it's me, now I realize what it is. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for, look at it, verse 16, so you stop looking at me. <laughs> look at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is what he's saying. Hello? I'm thankful for you, and now let's get down to business. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And if we're going to look at missions, we have to understand it's not just the missionaries. It's us. If we could get every believer in here right now to say, by the end of the year, I'm going to do my dead level best to bring one person into the church. Each one, reach one. I'm going to do my dead level best to just bring one. And if you're going to bring one, it's going to take like 100, 200, 300. It's going to take a lot of invitations to get one to come. You know, your pastor can go to your neighborhood and to your neighbor and invite everyone on your street. And if you live in the area, I'm sure he's done that already. But he can hit every door on your street. He could even say, she goes to our church. He goes to our church. But the percentages are so much magnified if you do it. The percentages is around 85%. If you look at someone that you know and you say, would you be my guest this Sunday? You come, our church is awesome, we're traditional, it's not going to be all awkward, there's going to be room, you just come and after that, I'll take you out to your favorite restaurant and we'll just talk about it. That has much more of a successful rate of getting people through the door to hear the gospel that you're not supposed to be ashamed of than your pastor actually knocking on the doors. Now, it doesn't mean we don't do that. We do both. <laughs> we do whatever we can. But the reality is you are a missionary. And if you understand that you are debtor, then it'll provoke you to love and the good works. Let me give you the conclusion. We're not going to turn there. But I want to give you this thought before we close. Three thoughts. I'll give them to you, and then I'll explain them. The question is this, why missions? Why even have missions? Three things. Number one, because of heaven's command. Heaven's command. We're in a building project right now in our, in our, in our building. And uh, we've been taking down walls and just doing all sorts of stuff. And, and uh, during the building project, the very first day, a few weeks ago, we knocked down some walls. The church was an absolute disaster. It's a small building, but an absolute disaster. I mean, it was just horrible. We had dirt on top of dirt. It was horrible. And I sat back in the moment, first day, and I went, should we have done this? I, I was like, what have I, and I'm the leader, I can't even blame anyone, and so I, they're working, they're still hammering and ripping, and I'm sitting there going, should, should we have done this, and you know what happened, I had to get my why back, it's not should we have done this, it's why are we doing this, why, and so I had to go back to scripture, and I had to go, Lord, because we have room in here for us, but it's not just about us. Heaven's command, we're going to look at it. I'll give you a verse here in a minute. Number two, not just heaven's command, but number two, because, why missions? Because hell's crying. Because heaven's command, because hell's crying, and lastly, because of the heathen's confusion. Let me give you this real quick, five minutes and I'll be done. Why missions? Bible says in Matthew 28, and you guys know the verses, 18 through 20, 
And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all, all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Why missions? Because heaven has commanded us to go and to give. Secondly, why missions? Because hell's crying. Somebody said there's more praying in hell than there is in our churches. Say, so what do you mean? If you want to take these notes, Luke 12 and Luke 16, two different stories about hell, Luke 12, Luke 16. But one of them have a rich man and Lazarus. The Bible says the rich man died and was buried. The poor man died and was carried. It's a big difference. One day we'll either be buried or carried. I prefer to be carried. And you can know for sure today that when you die, heaven can be your home. Isn't that a blessing? The poor man had nothing in this life, but he was carried. That tells me you can't earn it. It's not enough money to buy heaven. It's not about your last name or your social status, or the color of your skin or your background or your pedigree or any of that, your church attendance, your baptism, none of that stuff. For by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works. In my community, I have to tell people all the time that baptism is a work. It's a good work, but it's a work. We don't get through heaven, to heaven through water. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so, we had a rich man die, the Bible says, was buried. You know, when we get in the flesh, we kind of envy these rich men. We kind of want that car. We kind of want that house. We, we wish we had a little more property. We see stuff on Instagram and fake book. Fake book. And we see these vacations and we're like, man, I would love to have that. We begin to be jealous, envious. Jealous isn't the right word. Envious of the foolish. So this rich man had it all. In fact, Abraham said, you fare sumptuously every day. Every day. That means he had fried chicken every day. Wow. Fair sunny. Man, sweet potato pie, hog mugs and chitlins every day. Greens and black eyed peas. Just a moment of silence. <laughs> and so Abraham said, you had, it, you had it really good on earth. And this man, Lazarus, who's with me in my bosom, he had it. He, it was rough. But he's not saved because he had it rough. He's saved because he put his faith in Jesus Christ. And you ignored him, Jesus Christ. You ignored him. And so now you're tormented. You know, hell is a place of actual pain and perception and, 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 and punishment. And hell is... Oh, horrible place you're tormented and he's comforted and he can't go to you and you can't come to him there's a great golf fix and so you are where you are and he is where he is for eternity and so the rich man said or the poor yeah the rich man who was in hell said this well can you send that poor man Lazarus to my five brothers he said would you do that I don't want them to come to this place of torment you know what Abraham said? He can't. The only way your five brothers are going to get saved, if you're not saved this morning, the only way you're going to get saved, Abraham said this, the only way those five, bro five brothers are going to get saved is if they hear Moses and the prophets. Moses was dead. The prophets were dead. So what was he referring to? Why don't you lift it up and show me? What was he referring to? Up high so they could see it. He was referring to that B-I-B-L-E. If you're not saved this morning, we would love to take the word of God. It's not the church's position. It's God's position. We'd like to show you the word of God, how you could be born again. There's rich people, poor people, black people, white people, red people, brown people, yellow people, in hell right now, who are praying that you listen to the word of God so that you don't go where they are. Why missions? Because God said go, heaven commanded. Why missions? Because hell's crying. And lastly, number three, the heathens 
confusion. This may be hard to grasp, but are the heathen confused today? <laughs> the Christians are confused today. You know who the author of confusion is? The Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. So it's Satan. He's a deceiver. In fact, he's not just a liar. The Bible says he's the father of lies. When you think about college football, the uh, Pasadena, the Rose Bowl, they call that the granddaddy of them all. That's the one. He's the one. The father of lies. And he's blinded the eyes of men, some of which live around you. And so the only way to help a blind person is for them to get some healing. And for us to take the washing of the water of the word and help put that ointment and let the Holy Spirit open their eyes. You understand when Saul in uh, Acts chapter 9 was on the road to Damascus, the Bible says he was struck with blindness. But in that blindness, he saw clearly for the first time because he understood, who art thou, Lord? It's me, Jesus. <gasps> Jesus, you're dead. I thought the disciples stole you. You're alive. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? The heathen are confused. If you need explanation on that, I highly encourage you to read Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 32. It is a great picture of today. This is a living word. The church is not an organization. It's an organism. We're alive, and he's given us a living word, and it is extremely applicable for today. And the heathen are confused. And so it is our responsibility to say, Lord, what will thou have me to do? I want you to go into all the world. I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to see people saved and you baptize them. And then I want you to teach them to do all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And by the way, AJ, yes, sir, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be with you always, even until the end of the world. Wow. Okay, heaven's command. Hell, what do you think? I don't want my brothers to come here. They live in Gardena. Would you, just, would you just take the gospel to them? My brothers live in Argentina. Would you just send some money to a missionary who's already there to help him knock doors? And I've got five brothers. Hell's crying. And church, we live around heathen that are completely confused. They need the word of God. 1 Corinthians 9.16 says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. How's your witness? Are you comfortable in the wrong chair? The blessing is God eventually allows us to do some visiting. And even allows this chair to come over here like this morning. My dad's here preaching right now. That's a blessing. Greatest thing I ever did, teenagers... Greatest thing I ever did in junior high was say this, Lord, wherever, whenever, with whoever, however you want to use me. And it took some humbling for me to finally say, even lost Angeles. That was hard for me. I hate L.A., but I love Jesus.